0: Begin PodFix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, today is October 30th, 2021, and we're back with another episode of the Planthropology Podcast. i sure we dive into the lives and careers of some really very cool people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your guide in this journey through the plant sciences. And as always, I am so thrilled to be with you today. So this is an episode that was supposed to come out about four times this week. Uh, First, it was supposed to be released on Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday. And uh, I got busy writing and doing my job. And there's been a lot of craziness in my life the past couple of weeks. So uh, today, I'm recording it actually live on TikTok. So if you don't follow on TikTok, you should. I am at the Plant Prof. Um but I'm recording this on Saturday the 30th and this is a Halloween episode. And if you're keeping score, Halloween's tomorrow or today depending on when I actually get this posted. So, uh I hope you enjoy it. Now, I'm calling this the unbelievably spooky special because I'm a nerd and a dork and I like dad jokes, but that's okay. Uh, It's actually not that spooky. There's some spooky things we'll talk about, but we're going to talk about a couple of traditions as part of my Plants and World Traditions series um, that have to do not just with Halloween, but about things that are either dealing with um, life after death, or death itself, or poisonous plants, and different things like that. So I think it'll be a fun episode. It's one that uh, we've talked about doing for a while, and I'm finally getting it out there uh some business before we jump into it the podcast birthday is next week so planthropology will be two on uh november 2nd which is crazy to me it's crazy uh i'll release some information about how the show's going at that point but i did a poll on twitter and what y'all said you would like to see as a celebration of two years two years of is. Um, some reaction videos to some of these ridiculous plant hacks that are out there on the interwebs. So if you have a favorite or least favorite or a terrible plant hack video that you've seen, send it to me. I'm going to make some reaction videos and I'll post them on TikTok and on Instagram and YouTube and wherever else I can think of. This is the last episode of Plants in World Traditions. That's been a fun series over the past year. We did it for year two of Plant so it started last November. So we're wrapping that up. What we're going to be doing next for the next year, starting in November of 2021 and running through November of 2022, is a series called Tree Talk. And I'm essentially going to take you through the life of a tree, from um, acorns to uh, production to the wood that gets milled and built into your house or your dining table or whatever else. I'm going to talk trees for a year, so we'll be doing monthly episodes uh, about the life of trees. It's really fascinating. Um, I am a big tree nerd, a uh, tree guy, so I'm I'm pretty excited about doing this series. So uh, if you've got specific questions about tree growth, about anything else send them my way uh as always you can catch me on social media or all the places and uh you can email me at planthropologypod at gmail.com so uh tree talk starts at the end of november that's it that's all the the uh uh, business that i have to do so we're gonna jump into it again this episode is not super spooky depending on you know your tolerance for spookiness i guess Um, But we're going to talk about jack-o'-lanterns. We're going to be talking about Dia de los Muertos. Um, We'll talk about haunted forests. And then we're going to talk about some spooky, poisonous, potentially dangerous plants out there. And then this will be a shorter one, but I think it'll be fun. So I'm going to play some music at you. Not if you're listening live, but if you're listening to the recording, uh, I'm going to play some music at you. And then we're going to jump into this. So get ready for the unbelievably spooky spectacular coming at you soon. All right. So spooky plants. Are plants spooky? Can plants be spooky? I think they probably can. Um, but maybe not in the way that like you're not going to get a jump scare out of a plant. Unless a tree falls. I don't know. I guess that happens. Um, the plants are not maybe inherently spooky. But Across the world and throughout time, there are myths and legends that are tied up with plant life, with trees, with uh, the way that people interact with plants. So we're going to talk about a couple of specific things on today's episode, the first of which is the jack-o'-lantern. If you are a Halloween enthusiast, you know what a jack-o'-lantern is, right? A pumpkin carved into a face with a light inside. Um, there are whole competitions and all kinds of stuff that go into jack-o'-lanterns, right? If you have the Food Network or if you have been on the internet ever, you've probably seen some crazy carvings from giant pumpkins and different things. But the origins of the jack-o'-lantern tradition are really fascinating to me. So this is an Irish tradition, very old Irish tradition, and it didn't start with pumpkins at all, actually. That was a later development in North America and different parts of the world, because it turns out in Ireland you don't really get pumpkins, or at least they didn't have pumpkins when some of these legends were being established. So, The idea of the jack-o'-lantern comes from the legend of a dude named Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack. So Stingy Jack was at a bar and invited the devil to have a drink with him. It's a good idea, right? I think, you know, as far as drinking buddies go. And according to the story, the way the story goes is that during the course of this evening, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink because he's stingy. I guess that's where his name came from. So he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack could use to buy the drinks. Uh, The devil did so. You know, the devil falls for a lot of tricks, apparently. Uh, Dudes with fiddles, um, people at bars, I don't know. Turns out maybe the devil's not that smart. But he turns himself into a coin, and Jack thinks, oh, I'm going to keep this coin because it's the devil. And if I keep him in my pocket next to a silver cross, the devil can't get me. So he does that. He takes the coin that is now Satan and puts it in his pocket next to a cross, and the devil can't change back into his normal form. He carries around with him for a year. He carries the devil around with him for a year. And eventually he agrees to release him under the agreement that the devil wouldn't – come back and bother him for a year. So the devil agrees, he gets released and he flies away. A year later, the devil comes back again because apparently he's mad at Jack, which I kind of get at this point. And uh, at this point, um, the Jack tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark and the devil couldn't come down until he promised Jack not to bar- bother him for 10 more years. So, at this point, you know, Jack has been 11 years devil-free. This seems like a good thing. Uh, The devil agrees he gets to come down. So, Jack, in the course of time, dies. And God's like, all right, man, you don't get to come in. So, Jack doesn't get to go to heaven. And as part of the deal that Jack made with the devil, he also made him agree that when he died, the devil could not collect his soul. So... Jack is stuck in limbo. He can't get into heaven. The devil, keeping his word, won't let him into hell. So he gets cursed to wander the earth forever. So what Jack does is he carves out a turnip and puts a candle in it to use as a lantern. And the the legend is that Jack-o'-the-lantern, Jack-o'-lantern, or Stingy Jack, has been wandering the world, carrying around a turnip with a light in it for hundreds of years at this point. um. Throughout Ireland and Scotland, people started to make their own versions of Jack's Lantern. uh, And they would carve whatever they had. So it started off as turnips and potatoes and different root vegetables, because at the time, that's what they grew in Ireland. You've probably heard of the Irish potato famine, which we'll actually maybe talk about towards the end of this episode a little bit more. But that was a major crop. Root crops did really well in the climate there. So that's what they had. And if you've never seen a jack-o'-lantern carved out of a turnip, it is some serious nightmare fuel. You think a pumpkin is creepy? Uh, if the turnips are root crops, they're you know the size of a softball or something, and they're white. So when they're carved, they look like little skulls like super creepy little skulls, So the people of the time would carve these jack-o'-lanterns and put them in their windows to ward off Stingy Jack and other evil spirits. So this tradition has evolved a lot over time, clearly, right? Now we use pumpkins. Pumpkins are big, they're easy to grow, they're easy to carve, and you can do a lot of cool stuff with them. So, uh, I have a big foam pumpkin head. I actually thought about wearing it for this recording, but I didn't think that would go very well or sound very good ultimately. But um, I like to carve turnips and leave them places. In fact, a couple of years ago, uh, I, (laughs) I carved several turnips and hid them in our classrooms here at the greenhouse at Texas Tech so that, you know, the TAs would discover them next to the computer when they went in to teach. And that was fun for me. I don't know if it was fun for them or not. Another thing that actually looks super creepy is a sweet potato. So sweet potatoes grow on a vine. And it's a a ground cover type vine. So it doesn't climb necessarily. Though there are some very cool new climbing varieties of of, uh, sweet potato vine, which you should look up. They're awesome. But sweet potatoes are really supposed to be harvested early in the season. When they're about the size of a, uh, you know, a russet potato or whatever that we would buy at the store, they'll keep growing for pretty much as long as you leave them in the ground and until it freezes. So I've dug up sweet potatoes out of the garden that look very much like a human head with tentacles. You ever played Halo, The Flood, the little ones? They look just like that. So they make really creepy Halloween decorations too. Uh, don't ask how I know this, but if you take, A little plastic label, a plant label, maybe a credit card or something, and cut little wedges out of it. They look just like human teeth. So you could decorate very easily, were you so inclined, a sweet potato with googly eyes and uh, teeth. It's, again, super creepy. There's a lot of cool things that you could do. Um, All right. So that's the legend of the jack-o'-lantern. Again, uh, started out as an Irish tradition. Um, Most of them early on were carved as turnips. And now we have turned them into pumpkins because pumpkins are easy to get in North America and a lot of places around the world. The next legend I want to talk about isn't really spooky. And in fact, it is a um, beautiful tradition. Uh, Now, this one comes out of Mexico, and it is an old Aztec legend, Um, and it's the legend of the Sempasuchil flower. Um, That is a marigold, okay? So, most of you have probably seen a marigold. They're very pretty, orange, yellow, sometimes red flowers, Uh, but they are a very common part of Dia de los Muertos traditions, okay? So, uh, the story goes as such, And, and please, as I go through the story. And I make this this disclaimer every time I talk about different world traditions. I'm working off of research that I've done. And uh, if you have more knowledge, more, more cultural knowledge of these traditions, please let me know. I would love to publish updated episodes with uh, more sort of insider information. Also, I'm a Texan, y'all. So I barely speak English. So please uh, excuse my pronunciation of some of these names and some of these words. Um, I just, I, I, try, I try my best to figure out how to pronounce everything so I can really do justice to some of these these really interesting rich traditions that I talk about. But again, I'm a Texan. I do my best. So the story of the Sempasuchil and how we, the uh, use of marigolds came about for Dia de los Muertos comes from the story of two young Aztecs, Sochil and Huitzilin. And it is from this romance that this flower was born. At least that's how the legend goes. So uh, these two Aztecs were little and they spent all of their free time playing together and spending their time together. So chill, um went on lots of adventures with Huitzilin. And over time, their love flourished into uh, something profound. They would enjoy hiking near the tops of mountains, and they would offer flowers to the sun god. Uh, the gods seemed to appreciate their offerings and would smile with warm rays down on them. Um, they swore on one of these mountaintops that their love would last forever. War broke out, though, and the lovers were separated as Sweetland had to head off to fight to protect their homeland. Um, when news of his death, Reached so chill, she felt that she was falling apart. So she went back up to their mountaintop to beg the sun god to bring Wheatsland back to life. Uh, the god was touched by her love, and uh, through a ray of sunlight that touched her cheek, and she was instantly turned into a beautiful flower, the color of sun. Um, a hummingbird landed on the flower and lovingly touched the center of flower with its beak. It uh, turns out that the sun god, as part of Sochil's um, request, uh, brought Huitzilin back as a hummingbird. The flower started to open gently into 20 petals, and that's actually what Sempasuchil means, is flower of many petals, or 20-petaled flower. And it filled the air with a, a mysterious scent, and uh, every time a hummingbird would visit one of these sempestucho flowers, it would be a reminder of this love between these two young Aztecs. So over time, this developed into a flower that's associated closely with Dia de los Muertos. And uh, if you've seen the movie um, Coco, Uh, I don't know how accurate it is. Again, you know, this is not my culture, so I don't want to speak out of hand. But it's a beautiful movie. And from uh, my friends that have watched it that celebrate Dia de los Muertos, they've told me that it's really pretty good. And if you don't cry, you might be a robot. That's a beautiful movie. I cried a lot at the end. That's okay. Um, But now... These flowers are a major part of Day of the Dead celebrations. They're left on ofrendas, uh, they are left on graves. And um, my understanding is that the scent of the flower is part of what um, leads. Uh, lost ancestors, lost family members, back to the land of the living for one night, and then back to eternity after that. So uh, they're really pretty flowers, and I thought I'd talk just a little bit um, about the Mexican marigold, uh, Tagetes erecta. So this is a flower that's planted widely all over all over the world. Really, it grows in a lot of climates. It's an annual flower, um, but it's used a lot of times in agriculture as a catch crop. So uh, people will plant marigolds around their crops that they're trying to grow to try to either repel pests or to catch press pests before they go and eat the actual crops that they're trying to grow. These flowers are very fragrant. Um, they're actually pretty desirable to a lot of different insects. But they grow so quickly that they can take quite a bit of insect damage and keep going. They'll keep growing past that damage. They're used a lot in landscapes too. Now you can get them in a variety of colors. Um, yellows and oranges are the most common, but I've seen some beautiful red varieties and some beautiful mixed color varieties. So, uh, marigolds, either African or the Mexican marigold are excellent additions to your landscape. But, uh, They have been introduced into a lot of markets and into a lot of places through some of these traditions and some of the legends wrapped up in them. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is something that is maybe a little bit spookier, and that's legends surrounding haunted forests. Um, They're pretty interesting. I think that worldwide, across cultures and across time and across traditions, uh, Forests have held sort of a supernatural presence in human society. We talk a lot about don't go in the forest alone. If you've spent time on the internet over the past you know, couple of years through TikTok, um, Instagram, YouTube, you've heard a lot of stories probably about the Appalachian forest in the United States and the uh, not deer that live there. And um, there's all these legends that across time and across cultures are associated with forests. And I don't know that I wanted to necessarily talk about too many of them specifically, but the overall feeling of a forest is really interesting. If you've spent any time – now, where I live in the South Plains of the United States, the Southern High Plains of the United States and Texas, we don't have forests. It's flat, it's dry, we have grass, and that's about it. But I grew up going to Colorado and spending time in the forest there. And I don't know if it's part of not being able to see around trees, see around corners, see what's coming. But forests have sort of an eerie feel in general. And over time, legends develop around them of cryptids like, again, Bigfoot and the Wendigo and different things that live in these places um, the Black Forest in Germany is probably where some of the uh, settings for the Grimm's fairy tales from the Brothers Grimm came about. Hansel and Gretel, some of the others where, uh, whether witches or evil kings kidnap children, drag them off into the forest. Um, the idea of haunted forest is certainly not new, okay? But it persists. It persists worldwide. And... Uh, this comes in a lot of forms. It comes in the form one of things living in the forest, right? You go out there, you don't know what's out there. You'll see a lot of TikToks that say things like, if you're in the Appalachian forest and you hear someone call your name, no, you didn't. Because the idea is that there's a lot of stuff out there that really does not have your best interest at heart, right? But a lot of these legends actually come out of Celtic and Irish folklore and Native American indigenous folklore of spirits that actually inhabit the forest and live in trees and things like that. So, uh, we see this again across times and across cultures where both good and evil spirits will head out and inhabit trees or they'll grow as trees. And, uh, This can be good and bad, which I think is really interesting, the way that we approach a lot of our lore and a lot of our traditions. And we pick specific trees sometimes that are good to have and bad to have. For example, in a lot of Celtic cultures, uh, holly trees were believed to offer protection from evil spirits, which is one of the reasons they got associated with the winter equinox and uh, the winter solstice. They would bring holly trees in the house. You know, you've heard deck the halls, blah, blah, blah. Um, The bright red berries and the evergreen leaves were said to be um, sort of a picture of immortality and a picture of goodness and those things. So people would bring either boughs of holly or entire holly trees into their homes to protect from evil spirits. But the Irish also believed that certain trees if you cut them down, would either curse you or curse an entire land. In fact, you were not allowed to cut down an alder tree um, because of the spirits that gathered in and around it. So we see this again throughout time and throughout cultures. I think almost every culture has some version of not just evil trees, but world trees and things like that. Um, Plants that sort of sustain and hold up and maintain our world. So there's a lot of lore tied up in that. And there's a lot of reasons why, there's a lot of reasons that cultures have sought to protect nature, because nature protects us. But if you cross nature, maybe that's not a good thing. Um, I saw a meme the other day that said, the trees are always watching. Now, whether that is a threat or a comfort is entirely up to the trees. And I think I agree with that. So this seems like a good time to take a quick break. We'll talk about um, some other shows that you should be listening to. And when we come back just in just a few minutes, we'll talk about uh, spooky plants specifically, whether they are poisonous or pokey or something in between. So stick with me. I'm going to play some music at you. You're going to hear a mid-roll and then we'll talk again soon. Well, hey there. Welcome to the Mineral. It's good to have you. So this is just our chance to hang out and talk about the podcast, talk about other stuff that you should be listening to. How you doing today? You good? I hope you're good. I hope you enjoyed the first section of this. Uh, we're, again, going to talk about spooky plants here in just a minute. But before that, you should be connecting with planthropology on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter. Facebook. Just search for plantropology with his it which is anthropology with a PL on the front. Look for the green background with the bristlecone pine, and that'll be me. You can also find me on TikTok. I am at the Plant Prof. I post a lot of nonsense. In fact, I'm recording this live on TikTok as we speak or as you listen. And uh so if you want more plant content, more nonsense, follow me over there. I think it'd be great. Um If you want to support the show, uh, give me some time. Again, I'm uh, pausing my Patreon and kind of trying to switch over to a different service. So if that's something you'd like to do, just hang with me. I'll get you more information about that soon. But a way that you can support me right now is to share the show with your friends. Uh, Subscribe, listen to episodes, and then leave me a rating and review. Uh, Whether on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or anywhere else where you can leave it, it helps the visibility of the show and it makes me feel good. That people are listening. So uh, we recently had a new show join our Podfix network of podcasts, and it's called "Love These Mother Daughter Talks." And it's really a wonderful show um, between Bryn and her six-year-old daughter Flynn, where they just talk about life and they talk about um, each other and their understanding of each other. It is delightful. It is absolutely delightful, and it's a show that you should be listening to. And we're so proud to have them as part of the Podfix Network. So, here in just a second, I'm going to play you a trailer for that. And uh, again, I hope you will go subscribe to Brin's show. It's wonderful, and I think you're going to love it. So, get ready for a trailer for Love These Mother Daughter Talks in five, four, three, two, one. Ever wonder why your kid won't listen? Ever wonder why your mom is so bossy? Well, we do all the time. That's why we created our podcast. Love These Mother Daughter Talks with Brynn and Flynn. Through a series of open and honest conversations, Flynn and I hope to deepen our understanding of each other and help other parents and children deepen their understandings of what goes on in their day-to-day struggles. (laughs) And more. We are officially now on the PodFix Network. Also, find us anywhere you download your podcasts. Hey, Flynn, I love these mother-daughter talks. Me too. Let's see you on our next episode. Welcome back. Good to have you. Uh, So we talked in the first section, again, about a few different traditions that had to do with spooky plant lore. Or, I don't know, again, Dia de los Muertos isn't spooky. It's actually a beautiful tradition. But Halloween-themed or... Uh, I guess, supernatural-themed plant lore. Maybe that's a better way to say it. But now I'm going to talk about a couple of plants that are spooky in their own right for a couple of different reasons. So plants have had a lot of different challenges over time. And most of those challenges, like any organism, have to do with surviving their predators. Okay, so uh, the thing that drives evolution is trying to stay ahead of your predators, trying to stay ahead of the things that are trying to kill you. So plants don't get to move. They don't get to run away. So they've developed a lot of different strategies for protecting themselves, for spreading and for doing different things in ways that we maybe don't understand. They're a little bit foreign to us as um, mobile meat bags, okay? So what plants typically do is they will outfit themselves with either physical defenses like spines or spikes or prickles or, uh, pointy branches or something in between. They will grow in places that, uh, predators can't necessarily get to them, or they will outfit themselves with a variety of poisons that are intended to ward off predators. Now, when I talk about predators, that could be anything from us as humans to insects to rodents or anything in between. All right. But, uh, because of this, plants have gotten a reputation, in some ways, of uh, being kind of dangerous, and that's actually true. Plants are actually pretty dangerous if you don't know what you're dealing with. There's a whole thing that goes around that if it's natural, it can't hurt you, and that that is just the farthest thing from the truth. And we'll talk about a couple of plants that uh, maybe you don't want to mess with. Okay, maybe you want to leave alone, and they're totally natural, and they're totally not good for you. So. One of the first ones I want to talk about is nightshade. So nightshade is an interesting one. This is in the family uh, Solanaceae, which also, if you're a plant person, you might recognize as the same family as things like peppers and tomatoes and eggplants and some other things, okay? So all of these are nightshades. It just turns out that the toxins in some of these nightshades are kind of safe for us, and the toxins in some of the other ones are very much not. Okay, so deadly nightshade, which is Atropa belladonna, you may have heard it called belladonna, uh, was considered to be the devil's favorite plant. Um, it, legend said that witches, witches, and sorcerers, and different people would use juice from the plant in potions um, and for curses and things like that. Turns out, it is just really really very poisonous. So the family of the deadly nightshade doesn't necessarily just include things like tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, and peppers, but also some pretty harmful ones. Uh, Black nightshade is actually a common one that we see here in West Texas, uh, as well as silverleaf nightshade. Now, silverleaf nightshade is a really kind of a pretty plant, and the flowers look just like eggplants. They're purple flowers with yellow center. These plants typically have a bright orange thorns on them and little tomato-like berries. Now these are very poisonous. Now one or two of them is probably not going to kill you, but a bunch of them might. Uh, Nightshades have been used for everything from um, poisons to uh, the tips of arrows, like uh, uh, indigenous peoples in different parts of the world would tip their arrows with, or spears, or hunting implements with the juice from a nightshade, which would over time start to wear down the prey that they were hunting, so it's not good for you. Uh, but it's common in a lot of places, so I think it's interesting to talk about how tomatoes and belladonna are in the same family. The fruits actually look fairly similar, so <laughs> I think a lot about the first guy that tried a lot of these things, like someone had to figure out right that. Which plants were safe and which plants weren't, and I think uh, uh, so. They they need a statue, you know, old timey Carl who ate a belladonna instead of a tomato and died. Really deserves some kind of a medal for teaching us the tomatoes were safe. There are also a lot of other poisonous plants out there, uh, like wolf wolf'sbane and giant hemlock. So uh, these are plants that will. Um, kill you pretty quickly. (laughs) Uh, they have a lot of them cardiac toxins. So after ingestion, uh, it can cause heart attacks, it can cause, um, uh, gastrointestinal issues. There's a lot of problems. There's a plant that is common throughout the northeastern United States called giant hogweed. Giant hogweed, and this plant can be six or eight feet tall, it's huge, actually. And, uh, It'll cause contact burns. Even just brushing against this plant, getting the sap on you can cause chemical contact burns. People have gone blind by getting the sap from this plant in their eyes. It's really very dangerous and it's super invasive. So this is a good, I think, time to talk about why we should maybe be careful with invasive plants. In their native habitat there's probably predators, uh, insects, animals, whatever, that can tolerate those toxins and eat those plants and keep them down at acceptable levels. But outside of that place, we get to start to see problems, okay? So now we've got giant hogweed that has spread throughout the northeastern United States and, again, causes some pretty bad chemical burns, causes a lot of other problems. There is a tree. Now, before I tell you where this is, I bet you can guess uh, this tree is called the Gimpy Gimpy, uh, Dendroctony Moroides. So, this plant has spines on it that are essentially little hypodermic needles. Now, this grows in Australia, surprise. And, um, Just brushing up against this plant, these needles will go into your skin, break off, and inject essentially a neurotoxin into your body. Uh, This has been described as as painful as hornet stings or uh, the worst insect bites or insect stings that you'll ever encounter. Uh, The problem with this is you can't do anything about it, really. You just have to wait for it to go away. So these spines from the gimpy gimpy will stay in your skin and symptoms have been reported to be persistent for anywhere from two days to two weeks, sometimes longer. And uh, it is like a constant burning sort of pain. Um, there have been reports even of people showering or jumping in a lake or swimming or something years later. And the temperature change and the, the liquid touching the injection site where that uh, spine hit you, Uh, can cause some of those symptoms to come up even years later. So again, of course it's in Australia. There's also plants out there that are just creepy because of the way they look. There is a plant called Actea pacopodia, um, more commonly known as doll's eyes. Turns out it's pretty toxic as well, so there's other reasons this is creepy. But this plant has red stems, white berries with a little black part right in the middle. They look like eyes imagine walking through the forest and walking by a plant and all of a sudden a shrub is looking at you? That's a little creepy. Birds can eat them though. So this is a common thing that a lot of plants that are poisonous to us that we might create, that we might consider um, spooky or dangerous, a lot of other animals can eat pretty well. A good example, again, in addition to the doll's eyes that we just talked about is the um, mistletoe. Mistletoe is an interesting plant. We use it for Christmas and people kiss under it for a variety of reasons that we've gone into on a previous episode, but it's actually pretty poisonous. It is a poisonous parasitic plant, but birds eat it. So these little sticky white berries get eaten by birds and deposited on the branches of other plants. As the uh, bird lands in a tree, birds do what they do. And those little white berries actually germinate down into the stem of the host tree. So again, this is a parasitic plant. It receives all of its nutrition from the host. Uh, These berries then are spread by other birds, other trees. So if you're ever walking around in the winter and you see a tree that really should not have leaves on it, shouldn't have foliage, but it does, it's a good chance that that is mistletoe. Uh, The last one I wanna talk about um, is not a specific plant, but an adaptation of plants that make them look like different things. And some of this is a phenomena called pareidolia, where humans look for recognizable patterns in kind of everything, right? So we look for faces, we look for things that we recognize in nature. But especially orchids, have really weird flower structures. There are Dracula orchids. One specific is called Dracula simia. And if you pull it up and look at a picture of this, which I hope you do as you listen to this, they look just like monkey faces. They look like simians. It's really weird. There are um, orchids that look like birds and bees and uh, bats um, and a variety of other things. So for whatever reason, orchids have these really wild flower structures, and really wild ecological adaptations, most of them have nothing to do with us at all. Most of them have nothing to do with us at all. They're trying to attract a specific kind of pollinator, a specific kind of animal to help spread the seeds, to help pollinate the plant, and all of that. But we look for things we recognize in everything else. So when you see, you know, creepy faces in a tree, in the trunk of a tree, when you see a flower that looks like a person or a monkey or something else, that's your brain just trying to identify patterns. And it's really fascinating, but it causes some really scary effects sometimes. So um, plants can be creepy. They're not trying to be creepy, Uh, they're not trying to hurt anything. They're just trying to survive. And I think it's important, and I talk about this in my class a lot, that nature is neither good nor bad. It just is. It's when it comes into contact with us that we start to make moral judgments on it, right? We start to say, oh, this plant is bad because it's poisonous, or it's a weed, or this animal is bad because it causes damage to the things that I want to grow. But but nature just is what it is. And so, while we call things spooky or or whatever sometimes because of their defense mechanisms, they're not trying to really do anything to you. They're just trying to survive. And in some cases, like in the case of peppers, which is another nightshade, um, we get a benefit out of that. That capsaic acid, the capsaicin in a pepper is what causes the heat. Uh, and so when we eat spicy foods, we're getting an allergic reaction to that compound. In nature, that plant would be just trying to protect itself from insects and different things. But us weird hairless apes like to pick them and eat them. Coffee, caffeine. That is another plant defense compound that it just turns out gives us a buzz. So plants can be spooky. Traditions can be spooky. But when we look at the reasons why some of these things I think exist and the, um, cultures that they're rooted in, I I think it's just fascinating to think about. So, uh, That's about all I have for you. Are there other spooky plants that you know? Are there other things that you'd like me to talk about? Send them my way. Um, We have future Halloween episodes. Again, I would love to be able to go back and publish a update to this episode uh, about things I missed or things I got wrong. I, I don't like getting things wrong necessarily, but I like being able to talk through some of these issues and talk through some of the cultures that I discuss. So if you belong to one of the cultures that I talked about today and you've got anything that you'd like to add, please send me a message on social media, email me um, or whatever else. And I would love to work with you on it. And I'd love to maybe even have you on the show. So as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of Anthropology. You people are really cool. And I love getting to talk to you and I get, love getting to interact with you uh, through social media and through the show. Thanks as always to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show, for sponsoring everything that we do here. It literally could not be done without you. And uh, But most of all, thanks to you, the listener, for just being a part of this journey. Uh, keep being cool, plant people. Keep being nice to each other. If you haven't been being nice to each other, maybe give that a try. And uh, I will talk to you folks next week.